Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is the great Matt Moore of Action Network, of Locked on NBA, of Locked on Nuggets. And as usual, we are doing a tiers podcast, and this one was one of my favorites. It is on alignment. I'm going to let Matt explain what he meant by that, and I thought it led to a fascinating conversation. This podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Episode runs well over an hour 20, um, longer than the tiers podcast usually are because we have a lot of discussions, a lot of disagreements, a lot of really interesting thoughts in this episode, as is often the case with Matt, but especially in this one. I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I always love doing it. I, for a second, thought we would have maybe a a more, uh, we would have, we, like, there are a lot of options for criteria coming out of the Ulster break, and I, I really love what you put together because it, it kind of forced me to think about these teams, especially the ones that were more recently constructed in a different way. Uh, do you want to walk people through the idea? Yeah, so we try and do something different on all these, uh, and we'll probably next one we'll get back to, like, the roots of, like, hey, what are, who are the best teams? Uh, for this one, we're going to do best alignment and so what that means is everybody pulling in the same direction you're on the same page there's a play style that fits the skill sets there's buy-in from all the players they've got the capability to do what they want to do um there's no huge trade-offs in terms of like well you can do what you want to do but the result is that you can't do you can't score or you can't defend either one and so the idea is like because I've been thinking a lot about this from the from perspective of you can have the most talented team in the world, say with like, I don't know, let's just take like a, a seven foot forward that shoots 50, 40, 90 from the field and is a Hall of Famer and like an incredible, incredibly skilled point guard that just with a dazzling array of moves. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have everybody bought in, if you don't have everybody on the same page, if you don't have everybody pulling in the same direction, you're going to have some trouble. And from that perspective. Uh, it's not just those types of situations, but from which teams are like everybody's going in the same direction and everybody knows what they're going to do and everybody's happy with their situation and the play style fits what they what they need to do. Uh, who are the, the how do you rank those teams? And that's where we are for best alignment tiers this week. The other thing I'll add in there that I considered, and I think this is within it's within the realms of it, is the compatibility of talent. So, yeah. for example, if you have a team where you have, especially in some ways for me with star players I'll, i eventually have a tier that that kind of differentiates this but it's like if you have 
two dominant players. And whether it's on offense or on defense, you kind of can't do one thing or you can't do another thing. You know, like those sorts of issues are a really big problem. Or you can't you can do certain things like your star goes in one direction, but then you don't have the right complementary pieces. You know, the idea that, as you said, like put everyone pulling in the same direction. Like I think that th- there are times when that becomes a really important differentiator. Um, there'll be a team that I think will surprise the people that is way further down on my list um, for this exact reason. Yeah. Do we want to start at the top for best aligned or we want to start at the bottom for least aligned? That's I, will give you, I will give you the choice. Um, I actually think there's more to discuss towards the bottom. So maybe yeah. we'll start there. We've never, we, we very, very rarely do that, but I think we can. Yeah. Let's start at the bottom. Uh, so my, I have five tiers. Uh, fifth tier is five teams and it's the Houston Rockets, the Atlanta Hawks, the Washington Wizards, the Toronto Raptors, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Those are the five teams that I chose for worst alignment in the league as we stand right now. And we have like, I love I love this because we have an array. We have the Rockets, who are one of the worst teams in the league. We have the Hawks, who are right in the middle. We have the Wizards, who are right below the middle. We have the Raptors, who are between the bottom and the middle. And we have the Lakers, who are a little bit worse than the middle. So like, it's a, these teams, it, it's indicative of, hey, you can, there's a lot of talent here. Like LeBron James is on this t- is on, is in this tier and Pascal Siakam and Bradley Beal and Trey Young and all the talent on the Hawks team and you know well the Rockets have some guys um and so like there's all these kind of different teams but those are the five that I started with Houston being the first name that easily went into this where the coach is not a good fit for the roster Stephen Silas would work better with uh, a, an older more veteran team I think I don't even necessarily think that Stephen Silas is just a bad coach I think he's a bad fit for a team that doesn't know what it's doing uh, they their best player is Alperin Shangun but their franchise cornerstone is a Chuck first point uh, guard that doesn't have a great feel for how to get teammates involved or spot selection. Um, the rest of the roster is either undersized or badly fit. They don't have a good backup point guard. They don't- on veterans to kind of guide the young guys and keep them in check like this organization is to me is is as far from contention it, they are further from contention than any other team in the league and it's by a little bit of a different of a, of a gap even with how bad the spurs are record wise i have a separate tier i it's my i have six and it's my tier five of like i called it too much unknown and unsettled because it's just basically like there's a lot that they have to work out and but they have the like they're not set now so like for me it was a bigger deal to have teams i think the rockets are a fantastic example of it where it's just like to me it's the uh the importance of alignment and so the idea is basically like if you're a really good team and you have expectations and you're not super aligned that to me is a bigger problem but you're wholly Mm. right on the rockets and i think what makes the rockets different from a team like the thunder or the magic um is that it's harder to see how these rockets fit together even if you add the other pieces around them where like yeah they have these they they have these talent deficits like the, the rockets are not as good a team as many of their brethren but there are some of them where it's like okay you add a lead guard or you add a wing defender or you add a rim protector and all of the other things slide into place like that is that is something that happens it's a it's one of the more fun parts of the process or you just add a bunch of talent and those things don't matter as much and for houston the big concern is not like where san antonio is where it's like well we just need to add talent it's oh we have some but they don't make sense together 
Yeah, and there doesn't seem to be buy-in. Like I don't no. know what everybody. I don't know what everybody's agenda is. I don't know what everybody wants, and it doesn't seem like like Silas seems very much like resigned to what's going on, and just like okay, this is how it goes. Like I came here to coach James Harden, um, and kind of a ref a refit around the team, and instead this is what I got. All right, I know how this ends. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily blame him for that. You know, I think the front office has prioritized asset management which is good, but they haven't gone far enough. Like they haven't necessarily drawn out. I think that they're not, they haven't done things like the, at the deadline being like, Hey, we can run out our cap space for you. Like the, the Pistons at the draft last year is a good example of this where Detroit was just like, Hey, if you want to offload some salary, we're here for you. And Houston's never really done that. And when they didn't really, they haven't really done any arbitrage in any form. mm -hmm, Like, you know, they, they, they kept Eric Gordon for a long time and then they got, I would say, um, uh, I mean, they upgraded in the first round, I guess. It's just kind of a different sort of return for him. They haven't, as you said, they haven't really rented cap space too much. Uh, yes. Yeah, so is, is, is Kenyon, it, and this goes to like the organizational stuff. It's not just about how the team operates, where it's like, you know, is keeping Jay Sean Tate and Kenyon Martin Jr., are those two things in line with, you know, it, you keep those guys if you're like, well, we really like them and we think we can be good with them. You are so far away from good. Like, is it, would you gain more from trading those guys for assets? Or for like being like, no, 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 they're going to be part of our core when we're good here next year. And it's like, you guys are too far away. So uh, I think it was a little bit like it's a combination of, of talent, coaching, delusion. Um, and like you said, like the fit around these guys, yeah. you know, taking a chance on Kevin Porter Jr. was one thing. But going into the season, they should have recognized like, oh, no, no, like we need to get like some sort of table setter, floor general, somebody to just like stabilize this unit and help these guys kind of run stuff rather than being like, no, no, no we got KPJ and Jalen and that's our team. Like, it's just, it's a mess. It's, um, it, it's, and it's going to be, it's going to be very hard to fix unless there's massive internal improvement because I mean, or unless they get somebody in the draft who then is good quickly, which was, which is always hard to do. So my, I, I'm going to throw my, my bottom tier, my tier six, I called it fundamental incongruities. And there are a lot of different ways that a team can end up here, okay. but the two basic ones are either sometimes you're talent makes sense but where your ta- like but that doesn't make sense with the overall arc so that's group that's teams like the wizards and the blazers who yeah. things mostly make sense but they're not good enough for them to make sense so like that part of it's like the blazers yeah i mean especially when lords on the floor like a lot of this stuff works but they're not a they're not good enough in the non-day minutes b they're not actually good enough in the lillard minutes to survive everything else and so it's like well then what are you doing here and like the wizards are in that same boat like they're you know they haven't really had kuzma porzingis and beal like though there have been some weird snake bit sessions with all those guys and but even when they're healthy even when they're good they're just not good enough and so you have that group for me and i i'm kind of thinking about the raptors here that might not be completely fair um but the half court offense concern like that's not going away and i wish scotty Barnes, you know scotty barnes has taken strides since where he started this year still not solving those problems siakam hasn't solved them either yeah, I, for me, a lot of the Raptors is I don't feel like there's any any aligned push here. I don't feel like they're all which is funny because, you know, we do this a year ago, then I probably have them tier two where mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, they're really, you know, everybody's doing the right things. They just are missing some pieces. And that's what's kind of makes things not fit as well as they could. Like they need a center or whatever. You know, two years ago, I'm like, oh, no, they're tier one. Like everybody's locked in. Great coaching. Everybody knows what they're doing. Blah, 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 blah. And now I'm like, look, everybody's got their own agenda. And that's been that's been obvious this year. Like Raptors fans and podcasters have talked about this all year long. Like, 
OG wants to be like the guy, doesn't want to be the third fiddle. And Fred Van Vliet wants to get paid. And, you know, Pascal Siakam is there just trying to be like, hey, I just, you know, would really like to you know, win some games here because um, he's like the cornerstone. And Scotty Barnes like had such a bad attitude that Masai had to have like a basically an intervention with him early on in the season. Um, and then you got Nurse, who very clearly has clashed with the players. Very clearly, there's started to be like a little bit of aware on whether or not like there's a, there are real questions about whether Nick Nurse is going to be retained, which again, two years ago that would have sounded crazy uh and then on, on the other hand you've got all this reality of what everybody in the league knows as far as like where this team is and how good they can be and like which is not very good uh and all of their different agendas and then you have a front office that's like no 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 we're going for it going for the play and it's like what what do you guys what, what i understand you couldn't get all of the firstborn children and the secondborn children in the trades but like maybe you should have made some sort of shake it up move i'm not saying trades for the sake of trades but when i look at the raptors even they're on a two-game winning streak barely got by the pistons magic hung with them for a while had a lead actually at the half like they are so to me they just seem like a team that is going in so many different directions that it's hard to pinpoint um where they're headed and how they're possibly going to get there when they're trying to go in so many different directions at once. There's also the challenge of, I mean, I like Yaka Pirtle. I think that Pirtle has has helped in some very specific ways, but I don't love the Pirtle Scotty Barnes fit. Like there are some there are some challenges there, and it's also the question of how how do you get from where they are to where they want to go like you brought and that that ties in with alignment too and it's just like well no they need a bunch of things and they've they've made those sorts of game-changing trades before but they're extremely hard to execute and most of the players who would solve some of what the raptors do aren't available and of course you can't do it in season the what's what's your bottom tier give me your bottom tier right okay so now i'm going to do the other three teams which two of them are juicier one of them is not uh the less juicy one that we haven't discussed is the pistons and this for me is mostly about spacing they've committed so much to non-shooting centers and i think that makes life harder on Cade and jade nivey so like there's there's some stuff there um then you have and i mean i like alec burks and bojan but they're just probably not a fit for the like the long game with all the rest of these dudes um then you have the two teams that i think are juicier which is the philadelphia 76ers and the dallas mavericks wow in both of these cases it's not it's not about necessarily the offense like i mean in both i believe in it but for the Sixers, it's the defensive theory. It's that Joel Embiid can't run every scheme. He's very good at what he does. He can't run everything. And James Harden can't do the things that Embiid, like he can't run in a drop very well and Embiid can. Maxie's also weird in that. And then the Mavs, I was watching that super fun Mavs-Kings game and I was just like, how are they going to defend anyone good? They can defend bad teams. Sure. Anyone yeah. can do that. Sure. And I'm just, so for both of them, it's like they're the closest to moving out of this tier and they're also the closest to moving like three tears up because i could believe i believe in their talent i just don't believe in how their talent works against high level opposition i love how much disagreement we have it's great uh yeah. so i have i have sixers <clears throat> i have sixers and mavericks both tier three yes um based off of the idea of there's a little bit of incongruency with what you talked about on the defense defensive end there's a little bit of incongruency with like hey if you're gonna you know do these things you need a backup center that you can actually play in the playoffs and that doc will actually play in the playoffs Oh, that would be ideal and you don't have that um and then you got just kind of the idea of i i think on top of this is it's hard for me to be like yeah uh everybody's pulling the same direction that's why james harden has let everyone know that he's probably going back to houston this summer like the level to which that's out there is even if it if it's just a leverage play is 
disturbing because guys in the locker room know that. And if Harden's just not there, if Harden's just not like locked in, the other guys are going to know that, and that's going to have ripple down effects. Um, you're right on the de- on the defensive end. I think offensively the principles are pretty solid. I think that they're you know they are very much like going to hit you with a with a hammer, like very steady over and over and over again. Um, it's interesting because some of the teams that I think definitely deserve to be lower. Uh, where do you have the Wizards? Oh, I have the Wizards in this tier. Okay, so like the Wizards to me are another great example of like what this tier really embodies. Yes. Of like when I when I watched the Wizards, I saw them in person a couple months ago, and it shows up on TV every single time. It is not that the Wizards don't have talent. I think the Wizards have like pretty good players, like Bradley Beal, Monte Morris, Chris Porzingis has played great this season. Uh, they had Rui Hachimura. Denny's actually played really well. They they have all these guys. Corey Kispert, like they have they have guys. It's that everybody on that team knows this team's not going anywhere, and everybody on this team knows that they're just getting a paycheck, and everybody on this team just knows that like well eventually Brad's gonna ask out, and then I'll probably go somewhere else. Um, but I'm going to get the money while I'm here. Like, I guess we're here. Like, there's no, like, identity to the Wizards. There's no, like, this is who we are. They're not, and sometimes that's as simple as, like, we're Nikola Jokic's team, or we're LeBron's team, or just, like, star player. Like, we're Dame, the Blazers. It's like, what's your identity? We're Dame's team, right? They don't even have that, because Beal is so often out. So, like, the Wizards, to me, I think are the most uh, most egregious example of the roster doesn't make sense in terms of, of maximizing what everybody does. The coaching doesn't make sense from maximizing the talent that it has. There doesn't seem to be much buy-in from the players. Like, Kuzma would have been perfectly happy getting traded back to the Lakers sometime this year. Um, I, I, there was It was widely known in league circles that Monte Morris was, like, pretty – was hoping that they would get moved. Um, like, nobody there is like, ooh, I'm, I'm in. Like, I want to be here. Washington's where I want to be. Except for Bradley Beal to the extent that he wants to get paid as much as he possibly can. But even he probably is going to get out. So, yeah, I, I think it's a mess. Where do you have the Los Angeles Lakers? I actually have them higher. And ooh. mostly that's because I think the fit of LeBron and Anthony Davis is so good. Okay. And, and so, like, I, I give a lot of latitude when you have two really good players and those players make sense together. And yep. so that, you know, there, there are a lot of other things that drive me crazy about the Lakers, but I'm willing to give a lot of latitude. So I actually have them tier three, but I um, understand like, and then also I would have had them. I probably would have even, even though they fit that structure, I probably would have had them down further before the deadline. And even though every piece of it wasn't perfect, I like Vanderbilt there. I like Beasley there. Russell will add a significant amount of talent. Like he, you know, he's, I don't love I don't love D'Angelo Russell in a LeBron in a LeBron system, especially with like what he what he takes away defensively. But he's a he's a very good basketball player, and they, he's a better basketball player than the guys they sent out. So yeah, and like here's what's interesting is the Lake, and maybe I may move the Lakers up because they do make sense from a roster perspective after the trades. To me, like one of the things that one of the reasons they put them at the bottom was simply like. So I don't know, like, it's entirely possible that, that LeBron's, like, really struggling with this injury. Like, you want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Guy's been, you know, a beast in terms of how many games he's played in his career, obviously, as the all-time scoring leader. I just thought it was really weird that he plays, he he plays 40 minutes, he plays 43 minutes, he plays 33 minutes. He goes long in that Thunder game. He gets the record. They make all these trades that he's been wanting forever. He hasn't played. And, like, the disconnect between him and the front office has been so evident for so long. And I don't even know, like, there w- I thought it was notable that there wasn't a we got a squad now tweet comment report like there was after how he was excited in 2018. 
It's right? a, that's like, a great point. And also the weirdness that he looked off after he broke the record physically. Like he looked off physically in that OKC game after he yeah. broke the record. And like, yep. and I guess you don't necessarily want to change how you handle the deadline. And is it possible that LeBron, like that he knew things were worse than he conveyed to the medical staff? It's possible. I'm not going to say that happened. I obviously have no particular insight into it, but there is that element. And from his perspective, it's like you want to make the team better, even if you might have to take a little bit of time off, because that's what LeBron, that's what's better for LeBron James, both now and moving forward. And and maybe as the Lakers, you still make those moves anyway, assuming you're going to retain D'Angelo Russell. So yeah, and, and there's also the weirdness with the Lakers of like, you have this unbelievable talent. I mean, LeBron, uh, he had a slow start of the year, but he has been a very good player overall. And then you have like, they, they at least started the season with a bunch of players that did like didn't necessarily fit that vision so i mean i think they're poorly run overall but i I, i'm not i wasn't willing to ding too hard for that interesting and anyone Uh, else anyone else in the bottom here before we move on hawks yeah that's fair and i think from from the hawks perspective it's it's mostly of like i don't even ding the front office for this because like the on on paper this works like on paper the hawks make a lot of sense right you've got dual pick and roll options with trey young with either John Collins or Clint Capella, or really three with Onyeko Kongwu. You've got three options with DeJounte Murray, with John Collins, Clint Capella, and Onyeko Okongwu. Uh, You have shooting with Bogdanovich. You've lost Herter, that hurts, but A.J. Griffin has been really good this year. Like, you have all these weapons. It, it On the surface, all the DeAndre Hunter, 3 and D wing, all of this stuff on paper makes sense. But the reason I have them bottom tier is because it doesn't work is like an evidence to me that there is misalignment. There is no explanation for this team being this bad defensively with the talent that it has. Like, all right, you want to say, well, Clint Capella can't switch anymore like he used to be able to. Okay, Clint Capella is still very tall and able to block shots. Um, you want to say like, well, John Collins is a poor defender. John Collins, I think, is a poor defender now, but it, and he get, he gets better every year. The effort level I see from John Collins consistently is pretty high. There's some gaps there. There's some there are stretches where I'm like, oof, but in general, pretty good. Dodger Hunter's been hurt, okay, but like Dejounte Murray was known to be a, a very solid defender. So why is it that this team that has so much going for it, that has so much talent on paper, like Bogdanovich comes off the bench for them? Why is it that this team is still so ugh, just very much like oh good they won a game and oh, they lost a game like every it's, other game i mean the, when you think about those basic elements and i like that you brought this down i had i hadn't thought of this before there are actually some very vague similarities to the calves except that the calves work and the hawks don't and like you right. know the multiple pick and roll threats you have kind of like different different ways that you can run that you can run the pick and roll and maybe none of your wings are perfect but at least you have guys and i would say in some ways if we're just narrowing the field to the small forward position i would say the hawks are better there but cleveland there it meshes better i think also donovan mitchell's buy-in on defense has been very important for them so it's it's striking. I had never really thought of them as parallel teams, in part because of the disparate outcomes. But I think there is an element of that that is that is there. What's your second lowest here? I so I, I mentioned this before. I called it too much unknown and unsettled. So these are teams yeah. that 
could probably you could make a credible argument to be in different places. If, but I said I don't know what they are well enough to put them somewhere else. And so I think the the perfect team to explain this is the Nets because I'm still figuring out what in the world this team is, what their timeline is, what they want to do. They were fun to watch. I watched that next Sixers game. And was very impressed with the defensive buy-in, Jacques Vaughn. So like they may end up being like by the end of the season, like tier three or tier two for me. Like it's possible, but I worry a little bit about the offense. I worry a little bit about kind of what they what they want to do like what I, I get what they want to do defensively at least for the most part especially and Claxton playing with this kind of talent is going to be so much fun for the rest of the year can they do enough can Cam Thomas and Dinwiddie and those guys kind of get it there um they're a good example of it um like the Hornets are just I don't know I don't know <laughs> what in the world what in the world yeah. to do there I have the Rockets here in part just because they're more of an unfinished picture you could easily argue them tier six like I have no op- I have no opposition to you having them in the bottom tier I loved your explanation there um and I'll roll through the other ones quickly um there aren't that many of them so I said the Nets and the Rockets and the Hornets the other three are the Spurs just TBD on talent. The Jazz, I need to evaluate what they are now. I I think that that's going to be an interesting question over the rest of the year. And then the Pelicans, I've been dubious on the Ingram-Zion fit. I want to see more of that, but it's just they haven't had their best players available at the same time. And so while I'm skeptical of the fit, they've been really good in some of these iterations, and... I think that when they're got they they can just overcome with talent, but I want to see it before I put them into a tier. Interesting. Uh, well, let's get to the Pelicans in a second. So my fourth tier is uh, I've got the Nets, I've got the Hornets, I've got the Spurs, and then I've got some ones that will probably break your brain a little bit. Uh, I got the Bulls. I'm fine okay. with that. Uh, I've got the Suns, the Clippers, and the Blazers. The Suns were a really hard team to fit in, and okay, let's talk. Let's talk about the Clippers. I have them a little higher, but I didn't want to put them higher. I thought about putting them here. So I want I want you to convince me to move them down. So you know, the Clippers are in the good times. Look like er- everything is all is full speed ahead, and it works. And look at this talent and and all these types of things. In part, one reason that I would you know I'll, I'll bump I, I bump them up to like I'm tempted to bump them up higher is the beginning of the year was baffling to me. Truly, truly baffling to me like the first two months of the season the Clippers had the lowest three-point shooting percentage in the league okay you know what shooting variance it's make or miss league weird start okay but on top of that they also weren't taking them and then like over the last 20 games or so they've gone the other direction and they're back to being like oh three high three-point volume high three-point percentage which is like what they should do but what's interesting is like this was supposed to be like the deepest team in the league and they have all these different options and those options just haven't worked like they just haven't been able to get an edge on the opponents again they're playing very well as of late a lot of this is people will say well yeah when Kawhi plays okay but this is the problem I have is you needed one of the reasons that we bought into the Clippers collectively was the was part of the or at least for me like part of the idea was they have so many different iterations and play styles they have a set identity and they have all these things and then oh yeah also on the side there's Kawhi which is kind of how you have to build with Kawhi is like you need a scheme and a system and a design and identity and then oh yeah also we have this guy because sometimes he's there and sometimes he's not and when he's there he doesn't need to be part of a system and you need to be able to run stuff without him in just random possession so that he can have like a breather so like there's a very complicated balance that you have to strike and they had done that very effectively and then this year they didn't and then so that was confusing the other thing i will say is you know reggie jackson was a paul george guy like everybody knows that like that was a paul he was a paul george guy john wall i think there's a little bit of debate on but my understanding was that he was more of a john wall pg guy too gone gone Kawhi, everyone in the league has known for years that he's wanted a point guard that's been out there i reported on that again he's been pushing more for that this season that's why they want to 
getting Eric Gordon because otherwise they were going to have to give Masai Ujiri too much for Fred Van Vliet. So like all of these these machinations come into play where I don't know how I can ever consider you to be in alignment if I never know what the star player is going to do, act, or want. Like I don't know any of that with Kawhi. And so there's a little bit of of – I think for me, unsteadiness with all of this combined with the fact that this has not been a great Ty Lue season. Now, I, I've said this before. I said this about Michael Malone last year. Michael Malone was in a really bad spot with the Nuggets last year. Michael Malone also coached badly. Like he made bad decisions throughout the year. It was the worst coaching season I've seen from him in his professional career. This year, he's been awesome. Like you have good years and bad years as a coach. I thought like, you know, Rick Carlisle, I thought had a really great start to the first half of the year. Hasn't been as good in the second half of the year. It's been a little bit weird lately. So you have these kind of stretches, but I have a hard time. I cannot look at the Clippers and be like, everybody knows what the deal is. Everybody knows how to play. Everybody is in the same situation. Everybody is locked in on winning a championship. Everybody is engaged. You know what you can count on. And a lot of this just gets back to Kawhi and the unsteadiness. But at least two years ago, I could say, look, Kawhi is an unstable element as far as his availability goes. He's not Kyrie unstable. But like, at least the underlying structure I could count on. It's just a little bit more uncertain this season. And that combined with Kawhi has me where I have to put the Clippers down here at this, at this tier. One stat to point out there. Um, and this is this is one of the bigger surprises for me with the Clippers is that Paul George on Kawhi Leonard off negative 1.7, including the glass net rating. Like there, there actually aren't really teams in that range this year, but that's roughly where the Lakers are. And it's just like, you have to be better than that. You know, and they have, as you said, they have plenty of talent and they you you have to be able to construct and execute without an un, without an inconsistently available key player and that is something that the Clippers knew going in and I thought they'd done it but they haven't yet and it's it's challenge I, I like the point that you brought up about Ty Lue's coaching this year I agree with it and the the other thing that makes the Clippers thorny and, and I am gonna I'm gonna move them down into my tier four I'm not gonna go all the way to my tier five I'm gonna move them to my tier four is I don't know how it changes like right. that. And that's, and that's something else that is important for alignment is like, you know, it's, it's the idea of how changeable, you know, is this, is this like a, a big old boat that you have to, that you have to turn and it takes a week or is this more like a, a nimble, a nimble thing. And generally when teams are young or they're cheap or they kind of, they have a structure that can make sense, they can do that. The, the Clippers aren't really any of those things. Um, even though they have an owner who's willing to spend, which is good. And that could help eventually resolve some of that. Um, Let's do sons. Phoenix is hard and we're not, we haven't seen them on the floor. We're not going to see them on the floor for at least until after the Ulster break. We'll have to see. I worry about them defensively. Like there is a possibility. I want, I see them on the floor and I'm just like, Oh, I'm just as scared of you guys on that end as I am the Mavs. Like there's a possibility, but the, but one of the reasons why I'm more optimistic is I think their overall talent level is better than the Mavericks. And I'm in, I'm more intrigued by the Durant Booker fit than I am the Luca Kyrie fit intrigued in a positive way. I mean, there's a lot more to figure out with Kyrie and Luca. And so as a tantalizing element, it's that, but like Katie and Luca, Katie and Booker have both spent time off ball. Booker is a, I don't think he should do it a lot, but he's a fantastic off ball player in a way that Kyrie can be when he's activated, but isn't always. And Luca, can be when he's activated but isn't always but again that's only a small part of the equation i made this argument and people were 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 upset with it um when i wrote on the trade i said i don't think durant's ever had talent to augment him like this and everybody was like how about the warriors that were the best team in maybe nba history in 2017 and i kind of mentioned this with the clippers kd is similar in this and that for me it was like no 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 like you had the Warriors and then you had KD. And so like KD would, would take a breather and go to the bench 
And then the Warriors would run Warriors stuff, and they'd win, because the Warriors stuff was awesome. And then KD would come back on, and they would do KD stuff, and they'd win, because KD's awesome. But it wasn't necessarily Well, I mean, you can even go, I go back to Marcus Thompson called it Novocaine, of like the Steph Curry KD pick and roll that Steve Kerr basically never ran, even though it would ruin everything, because that's just, it's not the way the Warriors did things. I think it's a really astute point. And Durant, like those OKC teams didn't do it. I mean, he carried, he carried a lot of what they did well, but that wasn't because they said, this is a KD team. What should a KD team look like? And then that was never a part of the DNA of the Nets because, and and a lot of that blame for the Nets part goes on Durant because when you pair with Kyrie Irving, it's not a Kevin Durant team. It's a Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving team. That's just the way these things are. And that's part of the, and that's that if you have like concerns about the Suns, that's one of them is that like KD is always, and this goes back to the Thunder days. So the Thunder used to have these terrible late game possessions and everyone would be like, God, Scott Brooks sucks. Look at these possessions. And then KD left and the Thunder, Thunder never, ever talk bad about anyone that leaves. Like the, that's a institutional profile. Like it is a characteristic of who they are. But like, if you, if, if you, if, if you got folks to just be like, you know, love Kevin, love Kevin, love Kevin. But you know, a lot of that was him. <laughs> like, and then then you would hear the same thing at a Golden State and you would hear the same thing at a Brooklyn, which is just like KD has has a lot of confidence in uh, who he is as a player and how he plays because he's Kevin freaking Durant and he gets to have that confidence. And it's been wildly successful. But like this is part of it is well, the interesting is, is to see how the Suns adjust, adapt and accept the number of possessions that are just going to be like KD being KD. Um, the good news here is I think that the combination of what you mentioned with Booker off ball, Booker's passing like Devin's a better passer than Clay Thompson. Much better. Great, like Clay's amazing, much better defender than Devin. But like Devin's an incredible passer. So you have this thing where you have Chris who will always take whatever the leveraged opportunity is. If it is like like he will run pick and roll with Kevin and force them to switch. And if it's okay, Chris has got the advantage. Chris is going to attack. Okay, uh, Kevin's got the advantage. Kevin's going to get the ball here. And if they bring help, Chris is going to be like, now Devin's probably open. And if not, I'm going to find the corner shooter, like or the lob to Aiden. You know, Chris will never prioritize his game or really any sort of attack. Like he is very willing to take what he will pick on whatever your weakness is. Well, like, it, that's Chris Paul. It's funny. I think of Chris Paul. I, I've used the phrase basketball pragmatist with Kevin Durant before. And Chris Paul is that they just approach it in different ways because they have different strengths and they see the game differently. And like, but right. that, as you're saying, that is what Chris Paul does is like, he'll, he'll go after, he's very diligent. He's not going to make silly mistakes. If Chris Paul was defending at the level he was two years ago, I would be much more of a believer in the Suns yeah. team. I'm, I'm skeptical yeah. there. And then it's also the question of like, how do you, how do you add pieces that fill the gaps they have? And we'll, we'll see what they look like in the end. But I mean, those kind of wing guys who can defend well enough, but also shoot hard to find, you know, that's a part of the reason why they're, why you, you generally can't get them as buyout guys. And why you, why you had to give up two of them. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so, part of the reason the nets are so fascinating. Yeah. And, and I think the reason I have the Suns here, cause like I've just spoken about how much I like this concoction, the short term, like this four month stretch, I'm not worried about for me. It's there's a, there's a lot of, capacity for drama here with Chris on some level has to know that they're side-eyeing the like the the sons are like oh yeah I love Chris can't believe like look what he's done for our culture also we're gonna need a long-term replacement like that's out there yeah like they were they were out there in the market looking for like Chris Paul was not off the table in trade talks no I mean and um, and, the, and their interest in Van Vliet reported I think Shams had that originally that is notable not only in the sense of like it's hard for the sons to get him but you have a point guard <laughs> 
Yeah. Like, I mean, I heard other names that were pretty shot. Like I heard that they they called Charlotte about Rozier, not as a replacement, not trading CP3 for Rozier. But when you're taking on a guy that's making 20 mil and you're like, wait, wait, wait you're not going to pay 53 million for both for, for, for Terry Rozier and Chris Paul. So like, what what are you doing here? And the answer is like, they're looking for, they, they are looking for a long-term sustainability around Devin. And now it's a long-term sustainability around Devin and however long Chris has. The other thing is that this puts a lot of pressure on everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, DeAndre Aiden, obviously, already in a, in a pretty awkward situation with him and Monty Williams. That's already awkward. The, the, the core of this Suns team is Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and no one else. Yeah. And the it's fit in or get in for both Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, and that is awkward. And DeAndre Ayton's trade, I mean, he, I think he would have consented to a reasonable trade, but his trade restriction is going to be gone the next time they can make a trade. And the the challenge for James Jones, Ishbia, everyone else is not only the identification part. I think the identification part's actually going to be pretty straightforward for them. It's going to be, if it doesn't work, you have to not only move quickly, but make make the right choice. Because your window is narrow here. And so, like, I knowing what we know right now, obviously, like, Toronto has an extremely challenging offseason because of all the stuff we already talked about. The Suns, if unless it all works, do too. Because Kevin Durant, as great as he is, at some point he's not going to be this guy anymore. And so this window might just be one or two years. And so you get it right or you're not super relevant. So I had Blazers tier two, and then you started talking about him. I moved them down to tier four. I'm going to bump them back up to tier three. Okay. Um, and the reason I'm going to do that is you're right that like it hasn't worked, but they still know what they want to do. Like, That's nobody true. There, nobody there is like, I'm the guy. Everybody's like, no, it's Dame. And it, like, you know, their big problem, and honestly, like the, the, the base idea of, hey, we're going to have a huge big man, an athletic wing, and a dynamic two guard with, you know, some athletes is pretty good. Like, that's a pretty, it just so happens that, like you said, it doesn't work. It Most notably, like, they couldn't get a deal done to move Nurkic, and that's a shame. It's not that Nurkic is the problem. I've said this over and over and over again, and I will keep saying it in the hopes that somebody in the Blazers will, will hear it and be like, hmm, maybe, why should you listen to me? But still, you can't have Damian Lillard and, and use of Nurkic together in a pick and roll d- defense. You just can't. Like, you can have Dame with a more switchable big. You can have another more athletic guard with Nurkic. Anytime that team can put you, they can put Dame and Nurkic in a pick and roll, they're going to lose. You can't do it. Dame Dame can't play drop because he can't get over the screen to help out at all. So you're going to have to give up mid-range looks or worst case scenario, you know, high off the dribble threes. Nurkic can't play at the level. He gets beat at the edge and he gets beat on switches. There's no way to solve it. But like everything else with the team, I'm like, okay. Like, do I think that they're going to give Jeremy Grant, like from what I understand, the Jeremy Grant extension is like done. Like he's going to be there. He's part of, like, I heard he was untouchable in, in trade talks. Yeah. So, it, whether it's an extension or a new contract, I think it's going to yeah. be a new contract. Either, yeah, I think it's a new. It's going to be a new deal. Um, but like, it's already been like that's done. That's that. That I think is handshake. Um, handshake. At the same time, like that's okay. It, you know, it, you could say like, is he really worth it? Well, you know, if you're Portland and, and you're just like, we need a really good piece. Jeremy Grant's a really good piece. So I think that there's alignment there. I think that the coaching has shown it, it's, you know, Chauncey may not have been awesome this year, but I don't think it's been bad. I've actually liked a lot of what Chauncey's done. I, I think the formula is there. 
And so they're in alignment as far as the direction. They just got to like knock everything into place so they don't have as much drag against that direction, if, if you get my drift. I do. And it's also a testament to the greatness of Damian Lillard that they're in a, like you can argue, I had them in the same tier, but obviously different parts of the same tier. There are similar frustrations and flaws with, for me, with the Blazers and the Wizards in that even the, the like, as constructed, the best version of this team just isn't that good. Like that sort of a problem. But A, the Blazers are better, and B, Damian Lillard is miles better. And like there are ways that you can there are ways that you can turn the Blazers slightly. Like you brought up a Nurkic trade. There there are a couple other things they could try to do on the perimeter. And like they're sort of running into um I brought this up years ago that like Kevin Herter is a good basketball player, but was a bad fit with Trey Young just because there's so much that you can't do with them as your backcourt. I think there are elements of that with Lillard and Simons where you're just like, well, crap, what are we going to do here? And that was part of the idea behind signing Gary Payton. That really didn't work out for myriad reasons, but it's a it's a, something that Cronin, that Phillips need to navigate in all of this. Like, I, I think that Simons is a good basketball player. I think that Lillard is an unbelievable basketball player. But can you build a successful foundation with those two and Nurk? <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you, this is a separate question. If you have a guy like Anthony Simons and you know what he's going to demand in the open market and you know how scorers get paid and you already have a guy like not even if you don't have Dame, like you just know that Anthony Simons is never going to be Dame. He can be CJ McCollum. He can be any of these top level like really Bradley Beal even. Right. But you know that he's never going to be Damian Lillard and you know he's never going to be a good defender. Before you go down that path, should you just move him and risk like how dumb you're going to look if he becomes like a four time all star scoring leader? Knowing that, like, you've already, like, if you're not going to be able to defend and he's not going to be Dame, are these guys worth it? We're going to have a bunch of teams in similar places. Jordan Poole, there, there, I'm sure there's some, some extenders remorse there. And, um, I think Maxi's better. I mean, Hero is another interesting question with Miami. They were a little bit trapped, but like, you, Trading them beforehand, if you can get the right offer, yeah, I think you need to be you need to be more ready to move early on those sorts of circumstances than than late. That said, like Simon's, I think he's worth that money to someone else. So it's not yeah. like oh god, once we drive this off the lot, we're just we're just dead in the water. Like I don't right. think it's that circumstance. But yeah. even if that works out, you still have to move quickly. Like that's yeah. that's the problem with it is you still have that issue, and they don't have like the defensive foundation around simons the way that the warriors do with pool and the heat do with hero so it's like well you can get this other stuff and then if they can be the offensive guy that you're dreaming of then it can then it can all kind of fit together so i don't think you i so i mostly agree with you um and the other part of it is if you think that anthony simon's defensive limitations are just and they have a better idea of this than anybody else are just baked in you as much as the Lillard is great you know there are some limitations there too that increases the urgency particularly with Lillard's age and just kind of where the team is so yeah overall I agree with your concept I have a healthy tier three I have one oh, wait two, three. can we I don't think we need Go to ahead. discuss them a lot is the issue with the Bulls just that mostly that they're not good enough because like I no. think they're pu- I think they're mostly pulling in the same direction it's just that they're not good enough in 
that direction. I think they have too many headwinds. I think, and what I mean by that is, the direction last year was like, make the playoffs. Got it, done, good, got it, got it done. Ch- check mark, right? But ownership's also like, but don't spend too much. <laughs> you know, like, it's not like, oh yeah, you can go into whatever. Um, and then also it's like, we want to be, we want to be in the playoffs and be marketable. You know, I, I would love to know what the market was for Zach Levine. Now, I, I love Zach Levine and I actually think that he is a, uh, he's got to be a little bit, he was underrated. He was overrated and then underrated and then overrated and then underrated. And now he's like, I don't know, probably pretty properly rated. I think I saw Zach Levine turning into an all NBA guard before DeMar DeRozan showed up. <clears throat> and it's not that DeMar DeRozan made him bad. It's that DeMar DeRozan has to be DeMar DeRozan. And I don't know that DeMar DeRozan makes Zach Levine better. I think DeMar DeRozan makes the Bulls better. I think DeMar DeRozan makes everybody else in the Bulls better. I don't know that he makes Zach Levine better. He doesn't make Zach Levine into more than he was. He limits a little bit of what Zach can do. So my question is, when we get to these questions of why didn't you move Kobe White? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you like, why didn't you try and move Vucevic when you're probably going to lose him in free agency? Why didn't you, you know, they tried to pull a trigger. They got in, they got to Brooklyn pretty early when Kyrie demanded a trade and was like, Hey, we would be interested in in a Levine swap. And that would have made a lot of sense for, for both sides. And ultimately uh, the Nets wanted more draft capital and returning assets than the Bulls were going to be physically able, I think to offer. I, I just think that there's too much of, there's too much headwinds with this team of like DeMar is going to have to be able to do DeMar stuff and they don't have like a signature young player that's going to raise your ceiling because Lonzo's in his situation. Um, and then like there's Zach, who I think is at once he's at once constrained by this team. And he also dra- limits them and drags them down a little bit like it, it went from a really great situation for Levine to kind of an unfortunate one for both sides. So a- as currently constructed until I feel like uh, I, ownership either needs to be like, look, we got to like contend for a title. We got to we have a lot of pieces. Let's sell everything off. Be bad for two years. Get into an awesome situation and a draft you know, next year, year after whatever we got to do because their 2025 is gone like whatever you got to try do to get the pick situation where you need it do that or you know they need to get super aggressive and stop trying to half-ass things and that to me is why they're here it's like we want to be good but not too good and that's a problem they also have the problem that i i think arturis is a is a talented person he's made some really good moves that are a part of this even some that i disagreed with that have worked out more to his vision than mine he still believes in the concept of this team more than i do and that's yeah. always hard because like the, it's, it's, well, it's that's, a challenge. that's that's the thing i don't know is like i i will tell you that there was when i asked folks no i don't think anyone knows arturis because he's a very inscrutable man uh but when i asked around not not just close to the nuggets but just around about like hey do you think zach levine's a an arturis guy and or is it you know another way of it is like is, is arturis a zach levine guy there was a lot of like smirking and kind of like sideways looks and like, we'll find out. But like, to me, there was a little bit of, I don't know. I don't know how much he really, I, I think for him, it was how do you make leaps? And then we'll get of a level and we'll try and parlay that into something better. And then they stalled out. And what I don't know is how, whether they stalled out because of Lonzo's injury or because of internal team chemistry or because of ownership having certain restrictions. Those are the questions that I need answered before we kind of figure out the answer on our tourists. But I will admit that it's, it's not looking great. Plenty of other tiers to discuss with Matt Moore, but first a message from betonline.ag. BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from pro and college basketball to UFC and MMA and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. 
With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. So head to the website today or use your mobile device and use the promo code CLNS50 to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards at betonline.ag, where the game starts. Can I tell you my tier three? Sure. Uh, I will tell you, I've, mo- I've moved the bulls down. Um, I actually moved them all the way to my tier six because my yeah. tier five doesn't really count. It's a separate thing. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, tier tier three for me is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams. Okay. okay after I moved the Blazers up. Sixers, Bucks, Pacers, Pistons, Mavericks, Warriors, and Blazers. I'm um, most interested in the Bucks because I actually have them tier one. Yeah. So here's the thing with the Bucks is the vibes were really bad there for two months and I talked about it and I wrote about it and like there was a lot of conversation in league circles about how bad it was. Now, I talked to people that know the team very well and one of the prevailing sentiments across the board from multiple folks was, well, they're not playing well right now. If they play better basketball, this, the, the vibes will be better. And lo and behold, Chris comes back and they're bombing threes and they're, they've won 11 straight and the vibes are much better. I think that there's some internal tension. Um, I think there's some internal tension between with Giannis and what he's being asked to do on a nightly basis. I think it's starting to wear on him after four years. You know, he's no longer the spring the spring chicken he was at, at in 2019 with the first MVP. He's done a lot of the barrel down into triple coverage, get hammered drives over the years. A lot of deep playoff runs. And he's getting a little I think he's getting to the point where he's like, it shouldn't be this hard every single night. Uh, I think the Chris Middleton contract situation is a big thing hanging above the organization. Now, I don't think Chris is going to be a problem the way some guys will. I think Chris is like, no, no, let's win a championship. Like that, we'll work that out when we get there. But right now, we're going to win a championship. Drew Holiday, I know I can count on. Um, most of the young guys, I, I know I can count on. Getting Jay Crowder, I think, was a, a good move for addressing what they needed, which is they needed another wing. That Ibaka trade was bizarre and will always be bizarre to me, regardless of the assets that they were able to bring in. Um, at the same time, like the Bucks can absolutely win, win the title. I would say that, that three teams in this can actually win it. I think the Sixers, the Mavericks... I'm sorry, the Sixers, the Warriors, and the Bucks can all win the title. Um, Bucks, you can make the argument for the Mavericks. I, I don't, I'm not there, but you can make the argument. Um, the Bucks can win the title, but I, I do think that the combination of the defense is legit. They fix a lot of the three point problems. Like I'm all in on the defense. You even see it last night in that Celtics game, and the Celtics shot great. Not surprised. Bench units do this. They get up for games like that. But the Bucks will have a hard time in the playoffs in certain games keeping pace. Right? If you're going to play this style and you're going to be built around Giannis as much. You either got to make up for you're going to have to have efficiency on the perimeter and it's either going to have to be crack shooters that, you know, you can trust that can also create some for them. Like they have Drew and they have Chris and they have, I guess, Ingles to a certain degree. That's about it. They're they're low on shot creation and they're low on like deadly shooting. And, you know, Grayson, I don't think you can play in a playoff series. We saw that last year. So these are all the, the reasons why I just the the Bucks are aligned on winning a championship, but it's not like they don't have nothing but the wind at their backs. There's a little bit of resistance from various angles. The analogy I was thinking of as you were talking is like, I, I, I don't know why I'm thinking football more than basketball is those teams that have a really great defense and a shaky quarterback. And so yeah. if the defense is holding, it all works together well enough. But if the, if they give up a special teams touchdown or the defense is a little shaky that day, maybe when one of their corners has a, you know, has an ankle issue, then it's like, well, crap, we're down 
down 14 nothing. We're down 14 nothing at halftime. How are we going to get those touchdowns? And I think of the the Bucks that way. I mean, like even the year they won the championship, their offense was extremely shaky. But I really do like the Jake Crowder edition. There's a distinct chance that he doesn't provide much. They also needed somebody who does what he does. And he was and he's a credible guy at at XU and that defends, you know, can hopefully hit enough shots. And, you know, that makes some of the Giannis at center lineups more viable. So I I still have them tier four or sorry, tier one. But I I respect that argument. Um, uh, My so. okay, so I'm going to I'm going to lay out my so you kind of I I think I kind of split out a group that you did a little bit differently. Um, so the way I did it was these, these are all teams that make me a little shaky and I split it out this way. Tier four was key parts. Like I don't love the fit of the key parts, but some of the other stuff is good. And then tier three is like the key parts fit together, but then the rest can be a little bit shaky. And so the, we've talked about a lot of these teams already. So I'll breeze through most of them. So tier four, that's the key parts are shaky and the other parts are yes. The ones we've discussed, the blazers, the Hawks, and then the two we haven't are the Knicks and the Thunder. Ooh. And the Thunder, this is something that I've been fixating on a little bit, which is Shagos Alexander is a monster. He is fantastic. I I'm intrigued by Josh Giddy. I'm still I've never been the biggest Giddy fan, but there there's a reason, even if some of it is just shooting luck, that OKC's offense has been way better when Gildas Alexander plays without Giddy than without than with him. And the reason why is because you want the ball in your best player's hand a whole lot, and Giddy to me isn't good enough at the things he's good at to especially when you combine it like as overall shot creation rather than just passing like he's an unbelievable passer and so put the ball in your superstars hand more often and oh but the good thing about okc is they're defending super duper well in sustainable ways the buy-in dagdall like that all that stuff is really good and giddy is talented enough that i'm not saying you should trade it they they're good enough to do that the question is long term you might need to make that clarification. And the the other possibility for Giddy, and it's interesting because we brought him up earlier in Absentia, is Lonzo Ball, another very talented passer who got good enough at the other parts of his game that he worked alongside star players. And that I think is, if Giddy can't get that juice on Ball, that's what he's going to have to do. Okay. I have Thunder Tier 1. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so I'll kind of go, I'll make the argument for the Thunder Tier 1. There is no team in the NBA that I have more confidence in organizational direction. Sure. And that is... Coach, GM, all that. Owner. Like, yeah. owner, GM, coach, assistant coaches, training staff, uh, ball boys, the G League, all, all, business, sales, all media, all the way on down. There's a Thunder way of doing business, and it works. And they're very, and they're basically like, you're going to do these things, or you're not going to be here. And that's fine, but you're not gonna be here. And they they are very careful in not creating those situations where they have to get rid of guys because of that. Like they select guys that they can have confidence in their ability to fit who they are. Um, on a basketball level, okay. Before it was like, well, who's gonna be like? They don't have a guy. Well, they have a guy. It's Shea Gillis Alexander. Guys berserk this season. Like the way that other players talk about him is very illuminative of how much of a problem he's gonna be in the league over the next couple of years. Come on, baby. Most improved, thirty six hundred to one or plus thirty six hundred. Let's go. Um, thirty six to one, please 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 i my thing has been like god they need shooting they just don't have any offense and that's just not the case this year like did, did i don't even know how this is possible they're ninth and three point percentage like how, how 
who? How? And it's like Jalen Williams is at 46% at 1.5 per game. Isaiah Joe, I looked at this up this morning. Oh. Minimum minimum 40 minimum 40 games played, minimum 20 minutes a night. Isaiah Joe has the best net rating in the league. What? Like for bench players. What? Um Isaiah 45. Joe also taking 11 three-pointers per 36 minutes and he's yeah. I I think of him him and Muscala is basically like the reason that this team is shooting that well is that and the other guys just don't shoot that often. How about this? Aaron Wiggins is at 41% in 45 games played. Like, uh, Baisley was at, was at 40%. You know, they got, Mescal is gone. Um, Kendrick Williams, 39%. I mean, they Poku, have, Poku's at 38. Poku's at 38. You know, it's, it's crazy. And this is uh, the reason this kind of like really has come up to me is because, um, we're recording this on Wednesday and I have the over on the Thunder tonight. And the big reason I have the over the Thunder is, uh, I made the mistake of taking it under in a Thunder home game on a bet stream I did and was like, oh, it's, you know, the Thunder defense, blah, 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 blah. And then it was like, it was, they I mean, it roasted over. It was easy over. And they're actually like a huge over team at home. And they also, also, play- also, so Houston is unbelievably bad on Un- defense. Unbelievably bad on defense. Yeah, I'm on the over tonight. Um, but like part of this too is like they play extremely fast and they shoot well and they're super organized and they know what they're doing and they have Shea and they have Chet coming in next year and they'll probably get a decent, probably not great, but a decent pick next year that they'll do something probably productive with. And like, you know, for me, it's just like what what the stuff that they need to add are probably all things that I trust Sam Presti to be able to find rather quickly if he chooses to do so. Yeah, I'm I'm going to move them up from tier four to tier two on the, on a very on a similar but kind of different idea, which is okay. it doesn't have to be getting it could yeah. be Shet, it could be someone else. Yeah, like that's that's the part of it that I think I was and in your the organizational stuff you cared more, you you factored in more than I did. You're yeah. completely right on it though, in un, unambiguously. Um, the Pistons I have higher than you do, just from I feel like the Pistons, even though like yeah, like the shooting is a problem, uh, and I tend to this is a oversight by me. I I don't value shooting as much as I need to. Um, after just talking about how much I thought OKC needed it, but at least with the Pistons, I feel like they've done well in their in their organizational priorities. Like I like the fact that they didn't make any moves at the deadline. Everyone's like, "Why did you not move these veterans?" And I, I loved what I heard from people about the case, which was just like, "Why? Why would they need to move anybody? They're losing at the rate they need to to get the pick. Like they're going to be in the conversation. They're they're going to have a very good chance at Wemby or Scoot." Yeah, despite the, the, all que- this. the question for them at the deadline is there. So there are three paths. One was trade trade the guys now trade the guys later or keep the guys and the difference between now and later is actually not about whether you want to keep keeping them long term certainly that puts a thumb on the scale if you feel that way but it's also what is the return difference and i don't yeah. think there's i think there's a significant chance the teams just weren't offering it. remember we didn't see a first round pick change hands in the last 11 hours of the trade deadline and it well, we did see one before that not only with the Kyrie and KD trades but the Lakers giving it up but that was for a kind of a different package and so I think the offers will be there for Boyan and Burks plus you get the rest of this year to just talk about it and think about it and you could also just keep those dudes that's okay yeah yeah and so i think they're in a really good spot from an organizational perspective you know like here's the thing i don't watch them and go like casey's a problem i just don't go like wow casey's really getting the most out of them which is okay because if you got too much out of them you'd be in the thunder situation where it was like hey if they had a worse coach maybe the thunder would be in line to get wemby to put next to chet but they're here um 
so I, I just kind of like largely feel like this, like the Pistons are are fine. They're missing a lot of pieces. They're going to need to get right on a lot of things. Cade's going to have to get a lot better coming off of injury. But at least like I don't look at them and go the center stuff. I think is is fair from a like where have you you look at all where have you put all your assets, especially relative to the market. The thing I would say on that though, I will I will point this out when so many people I talked to before the deadline were like, yeah, we're looking for a backup center. Everyone's looking for a backup center. When Yaka Pertle goes for the price that he did to the Toronto Raptors, having centers, if you're in a rebuilding state, is pretty good because you're able to be like, we could capitalize on a luxury. Like, we have more of this thing that no one else has. Now, if they don't do anything with it, that's a mistake. But at least it provides them an opportunity to do what they need to do, which is like asset accumulation and buying low in spots. Well, you know, if they can do more of the, hey, we'll take a veteran that you want to get rid of in exchange for an asset, like they they could use those veterans. And I also, like, I just like the direction of this year where it's like, yeah, Jaden Ivey and Jalen Dern are going to make a lot of mistakes, but they're also going to be awesome a lot of the time. Um, I wanted to ask you about that just very quickly. Where are you on Ivy right now? Um, I like, I, you know, I forget which one I was watching. I watched him uh, a few days ago, and I, I actually was was pretty impressed with what he was able to bring to the table. Um, I still, I actually, my big thing is what I kind of just said. I love that he's just able to go through this entire stretch where it's like, he was probably further behind than folks expected. He was supposed to be very out-the-box ready. He was probably behind Behind that, but I think it's been great that he just gets these reps. Like he gets these reps, he gets to figure out exactly how teams are going to defend him, what the gaps in his team in, in his game are, and if he pays attention to those things and he takes the time in the offseason to correct them, he's going to have a monster year next season next to Cade. If he doesn't, you know, we're going to go Dennis Smith Jr. route. Like that's going to be the the problem. But I think he's way more talented than Den- Dennis Smith Jr. And I actually like I'm still very high. I think on Ivy. Where are you at? I I'm not all the way there in terms of him as like a half court creator, but I like the energy he plays with in transition. I like that he's gotten the chance to make mistakes. And the biggest place that I actually want to see what this offseason does for him is defensively, because there is a threshold that you need to meet to be a viable defensive player, whether you're the star or not star. And like, I mean, I want to give Shea Gilchrist Alexander an immense amount of credit for for real for doing that. Donovan Mitchell's been better this year too. And whether you're a support player or you're a star, you still have to do that. And so if Ivy can get kind of all the pieces of his game up to be to be like okay I can buy him as a complimentary player with start like with with potential to be more than that I'll be on board and I I like some of the physical tools and I'm still shaky on his jumper which is like that's it's just such a it's just such a swing skill for basically any guard who it's not definitive one way or the other um I'll just breeze through a couple of the other teams so this is the second part of that group it's I call it key parts yes rest eh. and this is where I ended up with the Suns I said purely conceptually because we have to see um The Warriors, um, their main guys make sense together, but a lot of the other stuff gets wonky. Um, the, not only the two timeline stuff, but just like the, some of the roster construction that they don't really run a different offense when Steph Curry's off the floor and none of it makes sense in that circumstance. Um, I also have the Heat here. I love Jimmy and Bam, and I think they have a lot of good players around it. It's so weird that they've been so bad shooting in the first part of the year. I think that will improve. I think I'll feel better about them. Um, and then this is where I ended up putting the the Lakers, For we already discussed them, and then this is where I ended up putting the Kings and the Wolves, because the Kings, I love the synergy of Sabonis and Fox. I mean, we saw that really well in that Mavericks game. Fox is playing at the best level of his career. Sabonis, like, he elevates the offense, and the defense is meh, but the defense is going to be but I think if you're going to make a Fox Sabonis team and have enough shooting at like one or two spots, I would love to see like a, maybe a little bit of counter programming a little bit than they've had so far because they've done super well and I believe in their offense. I just I'm just wondering where they go from here. 
Yeah, that's the question, right? Is like, hey, congratulations on breaking the streak. You guys are probably going to make the postseason. Now what? Like, that's like that's a very big part of it. It's interesting that our. Um, I think if you if I were to break out my tier two and do two tiers, we would be pretty on online with a lot of these. Um, my tier two is Knicks, Heat, Magic, Wolves, Jazz, Pelicans, notably uh, Grizzlies, and the Sacramento Kings. I have the Warriors a tier lower. Um, so with the Warriors. You know, to your point, like the starters work well. Here's the issue <laughs> is, again, my stuff combines the on-court stuff with the off-court stuff. And so a lot of this is like I have a big position on the, the Warriors under, which is going to hit. Yes. And the there was a lot of reasons for it. Numbers indicated that teams with an over 50 win total tend to go under the last 10 years. That's going to be, again, true this season. Uh, the Not the Celtics, unfortunately, for my bankroll. <laughs> um, they had an overseas trip to uh, an Asian country. I'm sorry. Uh, I believe they were. Yeah, they were they were they were Asia. Yes, uh, Bucks were were uh, Middle East teams that go overseas for Asia preseasons tend to go under because it disrupts your training your training camp, and it's like a very simple thing that I learned from the Warriors, and it's proven to be a very profitable strategy. Um, but then you also like it compounded where it got worse. You had the preseason Draymond fight with Jordan, and you have like all of these various things. It just feels like they're, you know, I talked about uh, how much headwind. They're going into a lot of wind right now. And some of that is like Draymond's probably got to be pretty frustrated with, like, it's clear he's frustrated with the defensive attention. He's got to be frustrated with the extensions that were handed out and where the team has kind of left him. There's all of these kind of factors. And then you got the Steph injuries on top of it, which they're not. One of the things that is becoming apparent is as much as I credit Steve Kerr's system for unlocking what Steph Curry became and unlocking what the Warriors became, you can't do it without him. It's part and parcel. Like Steph without Steve Kerr's system was a phenomenal player, but wasn't the world breaker that he became. And Steve Kerr's system without specifically Steph Curry is just, uh, uh, good. And that differential, I think, is pretty massive. Um, I don't know what their their future to me looks very much like. Everybody has to kind of be looking over their shoulder about what's going to happen to them. And that's not a good situation. Uh, ownership, obviously, always kind of looking for the next big advantage, et cetera, the two timelines thing. And then just very simply in this, which is, you know, if, if we're going to say the on-court stuff at some level, I'm I'm just going to look at you and go like, OK, but you got to win games on the road, too. And and you have to consistently beat teams when you have an advantage, whether that is yeah. because you're better than them or because they have star players out. Like there was a conversation in the media room. We were talking about the when, when LeBron was out for the Lakers game. And I'm like, oh, no, I think they're going to lose. And then they did because it was just yeah. they 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 often play to the level of their opposition. And the Warriors actually did that a fair amount during their best years, too. But it didn't matter because they were so superior to everyone else that they could handle it. Yeah, and like um, their win profile is a mess. Like it's Oof. it's a it's it's a mess. Um, looking at it right now, like in this season after winning the title, which is the whole thing everyone keeps kind of holding on to. Uh, Warriors 16 and 11 versus teams under 500. As a comparison point, the Timberwolves have 13 of those losses. You don't want to be even with a Minnesota Timberwolves team that's been without Carl Anthony Towns for basically the entire season in that category. Not when the Pelicans, the Clippers, the Suns, the Kings, the Grizzlies, and the Nuggets all have less than 10 so far. So it's a it, that's a big gap there. So I, I you know you're it's a great point that they don't win uh, at the level that they need to. Let me make the argument for the Pelicans. Sure, uh, we'll have gotten tier two. I feel like everybody's bought in 
you know, the young guys. Are I, I young, agree. The, the young guys are on on a young enough trajectory and have enough years ahead of them that they don't have to worry about their contracts yet. So there's no real tension there. Herb Jones has played a little bit better as of late. Um, they know who they are when they're healthy, like you mentioned. I think one thing in your favor, like a reason this can't be a tier one, is like I I I don't know where Brandon Ingram fits with with that identity. I just. I just don't like their best version this season was Zion with all of the different options like Zion and CJ or Zion and Jose and or Zion and Nance or Zion like all of these combinations worked except when it like we didn't see enough of Brandon Ingram and now we've kind of seen like the Brandon Ingram Pelicans which is basically last year's squad and it hasn't been as good and there's a lot of concerns about Ingram separately because of the injury and stuff like that but I also just think that there's like one kind of I try and check myself of like hey this is like a thing that I see and worry about like am i crazy and again this is not people with the pelicans the pelicans be like no it's fine but like people the smart people in the league i ask about this i ask like about the ingram thing and they're just like i just don't know how much ingram and zion are on the same page and how much there's a you know brandon wants to be the guy and that's what he's always been told he's gonna be and he was the guy for two years while zion was out and now he has to be the other guy and they want to both be the guy and that's not going to work. So I think there's a little bit of tail there, but at the same time, like I, when they're rolling, they're so impressive. And I think that they hit a real lull there in January with all the injuries and the issues and all the problems, but I think they're starting to come out of it. I still think Willie Green will figure out enough answers. I like this Pelicans team and the trajectory that they have trajectory that they have long term. They're so talented, it wouldn't surprise me if they just figured it out. I think Willie Green's done a nice job coaching them. So uh, yeah, there are plenty like there are plenty of reasons to go to go in all these directions. And it's also bizarre that even the playoffs might not be definitive on them depending on how everything goes. Like it's yeah. just it's just an open question. Um briefly my tier two, I called it most of the way there where they're pulling in the same direction and this is more just kind of you and i looked at this in a little bit different ways they just they just need to add more talent or do something else and so like for me the Orlando Magic are there. They've actually been very successful when Wagner, yeah. Paolo Bancaro, and Wendell Carter have been available. Basically, to me, any good offensive guard will will get them to the place that they need to go, and they have the resources to do that, whether it's cap space, draft picks, whatever. They just It needs to happen. And I, I feel better about Jamal Mosley now than I did a year ago, well, also because we have a lot more information. This is where I have the Cavs. I, I've been impressed overall with what they've done, what JV Bickerstaff has done. I still am a little, like, it's still a little bit questionable about how they're going to be against good teams. It might just be where, you know, I, I learn in the playoffs one way or the other. I have the Pacers here. Um, I agree with you that the first half was a lot better than what we've seen of the second half so far. But when Halliburton missing extended time and just kind of the, some of the weirdness there, like, I'm hoping that gets ironed out. I also really like the Halliburton Turner fit. And Turner's going to be on the trade market forever, but at least I like the fit there. And I want to see more Halliburton Matherin, but I generally like that. And credit to Carlisle, it's been a little different over the last couple weeks. This team has run a ton. And it was a question you and I talked about a lot two years ago, was the Dallas Mavericks just doing nothing in transition. And the question was, is this a Luka thing? Is this a Carlisle thing? Is it both of them pulling in the same direction? And whether it was them pulling in the same direction then, I give Carlisle credit that their only way for for this Pacers team to succeed was to run, and they're running. Yeah, I think he deserves a lot of credit for actually playing to the strengths of the roster. Um, you know, I'm still I want to see where the Pacers end up. 
because we there was a lot of momentum about them in preseason and everyone loves Halley and um he was phenomenal this season obviously and they made a good push but now like they're really starting to spin and I want to see whether they can stabilize or whether they lose a lot of momentum and it's like uh, maybe this team isn't as good as we thought I want to see where they're at I thought it was interesting that you have the Knicks lower from I don't mind it like because it's like how are they going to get great to me I like the direction of the Knicks in that they haven't the fact that they offloaded contracts to sign Jalen who was an expensive ad but he's been just what they needed a lot of this is just going to be I, I guess I'll put it this way I, I'm going to love their direction if they're willing to make the hard choices <laughs> and that's get, and that's a part of why I have them lower is that yeah they so the, the Knicks are in this place where you can put together like a lot of different combinations of three key pieces that they have and it works it's just you have to choose which for with which other one to excise like that's kind of the way it works and like i i've been a big quentin grimes fan he's a complimentary player but he's a good complimentary player brunson's been great for them so it's then but if it's those guys plus a non-shooting center plus brunson or not brunson sorry barrett and and Randall, like you, I think you eventually, maybe immediately ish, need to figure out one of those two because you can actually, they could do well with a lower usage player at one of those two spots and just basically take the advantages that come from a more basic player that doesn't need the ball as much. And that's not to say that Julius Randall's a bad basketball player. He is, he has been better at times, but he's also been worse at times. But this is something Nate and I, and we've done a couple of Knicks games for the strategy stream. Is, is that you get a lot of your play style from your power forward. And some of this is just being lower on Julius Randle. There are players like that all around the league. But like if you do, let's say, let's say the idea is Brunson, Grimes, Barrett or Hart, low usage floor spacing four and they're five like it so it makes life easier on everyone else in these very specific ways and randall deserves credit for his shooting i mean the knicks are i believe they're sixth or seventh on offense right now so like maybe my criticism is just outdated like i acknowledge that possibility and then the other thing with them is it's like can they really defend at a super high level against good competition i'm not sure yeah it's their defense has been so inconsistent it's crazy how much it waxes and wanes for me it's like okay you stuck with randall he got booed last year he's rehabbed his value he bought back into you he didn't like just check out the season right he's like randall wants to compete he played well this season you rehabbed his value find him a good spot that gets you decent return that can upgrade you in multiple spots to me the big thing here is just barrett who like it's letting go of these ideas of of guys that were going to be your franchise savior is tough but so tough. they ask, have ask the Warriors like pick, pick and roll with like Jalen Brunson, Mitchell Robinson, and then like some shooting on the wings makes a lot of sense unless it's RJ Barrett. Like that's where it gets tough. So I, I think that they if they can make those tough decisions, they'll be in a really good spot. Um, my tier one, my tier one is four teams. OK, it's I mentioned the Thunder. Uh, I have the Cavaliers one. Sure. Because that's, that's that's fine. For me, it's like they had a vision and they executed it. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh, hey, we've got these two really dynamic big men um, who are awesome at what they do. And we have just going to overwhelm teams with size, length and athleticism. We're going to defend at a really high level. We have Darius Garland who could do a lot. What if we got like another high level playmaker? Oh, yeah. And Donovan Mitchell and he recommitted on defense. Like it all kind of works together. And their bench is really good. Uh, Chetty Osmond's really good off the 
bench. So, and, you know, Kevin Love slid, slid out, but I think they have, I like Dean Wade. They have some real upside, I think, with that team. I Sneaky, I, I think, look, I, everything for me is probability. It's not about like, ooh, this team is going to do X. It's like, what are the chances? I love the Cavaliers as an Eastern Conference dark horse. Mm. I love them. If they can get in the right bracket, uh, it's funny. The Sixers need to stay out of Boston's bracket no matter what, and the Cavaliers need to stay out of the Sixers' bracket no matter what. Um, and so, like, I think if things were to go right and the Cavs are able to stay healthy, which is a big thing, I actually think that they're going to be a huge thorn in the side and they're going to be have some great betting opportunities for people uh, as a dog for them to go further or to have series more competitive than I think the market will recognize. Um, I think that they're aligned. I think that they've done a really good – I have to give Kobe Altman a ton of credit for whether it was just like things came together or he saw the master plan and it came together, whatever. It, it worked and he's done really good to augment it. I love how he's managed the roster on the fringes like Ricky Rubio you know bringing in Robin Lopez the vibes are immaculate for that team that team has the best vibes of any squad in the league they have a lot of fun playing together uh they're in a really fantastic spot taking a risk on Mitchell knowing that like New York was where uh, he obviously wanted to be and then having it be like him be like hell yeah I'm so excited to be here what a win to like sell a guy on what you're building have guys around that he wants to play with they win a ton of games when they're healthy they're awesome uh love the Cavaliers Celtics, this is pretty obvious. Just like they have a style. All their guys play the style. All their guys play hard. There's never an effort issue with that team. They maximize what they do. I don't, just because I personally don't love or uh, believe the most in such a perimeter-oriented, isolation-heavy offense that's not pick-and-roll derived doesn't mean that it can't be successful. It is, obviously. It was the number one team in the Eastern Conference. What, one, so, Cel- one Celtic stat quickly. Yeah. The second-best cleaning-the-glass net rating for a team facing the other top 10 teams in point differential is the is actually the Mavericks at plus 3.1 the Celtics are at plus nine I know I posted and, that and part of that is that they don't have to face the Boston Celtics which is useful because yeah. the Boston Celtics are very good but they have done really well and that includes you know they lost they lost to the Bucks last night but they still played you know they still played well and that was a road game and all that type of stuff 19 and 7 versus teams below 500 22 and 10 which is excellent versus teams 500 and above um they're tw- they have 23 wins by double digits that's by far, uh, especially not the most in the league, actually. The the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers have the most, uh, which is why they're number one, by the way, in SRS. Um, but like the Celtics, they win their division games. They're eight and one in their division games, which I matter. I value a lot. They're 23 and seven at home, which is great. There's there's just no way to ding uh, the Boston Celtics. And the final team is the Denver Nuggets, who um, they Calvin Booth, when he took over, wanted to take a more ruthless and aggressive approach. And what they've done is they've targeted veterans that know the deal and everybody's locked in on winning a championship like that's they don't talk about it because they know how much work there is to be done and they know how fragile these things can be like there's a very there's a very real sense of like yeah well we thought we were going to win the title two years ago and then jamal tore his acl and there's like that that hovers over everything but um malone coaches much better from a position of strength than he does when he's in the weeds he gets too uptight it's it's kind of the opposite of doc rivers yes where doc rivers is great when when there's weirdness and teams shorthanded and everything else like that but when things are going well it's like oh crap yeah and malone is the opposite where it's like if you only give him so many options he's going to lean on what he can trust and sometimes it's not the best um 
but they've been phenomenal and he's he has chilled out because they have given him the opportunity to chill out and that puts them in a really good place because uh, every player I've talked to says this is the most detail-oriented staff in the league. They pay a lot of attention to the minor details. Um, a, a player also said that Malone, he, said, he laughed and said, I think Malone wants to win the games more than the players do. <laughs> and he's hyper-competitive, and that can that can rub guys wrong, but it's working right now. Uh, Jokic is what makes the team go. Jokic's attitude and, and how he makes everybody better is great. Uh, that is what was funny about the Bones situation is the vibes were so awesome except for with Bones. And that was one of the reasons why he got moved for such a low price um but this team is is definitely in a really good spot as far as an organizational uh approach goes everybody's pointing in the right direction the nuggets celtics Cavs, and thunder are my top four i will say i had the i think the nuggets are the most in alignment as the celtics are a really good team but especially with some of the tension potentially with jalen brown and and just like understanding the the focal having a singular focal point actually makes this a lot easier and so you could argue and i would that it's a good problem for the celtics to have but it is still different whereas denver it all it all kind of goes in together the one team we haven't discussed i had this, so the only disagreement really there for me is when well, you brought up the thunder is i have memphis tier one you have them tier two i'm i know you know this team very well i'm interested in that sorry broke up there uh, the, my, uh, the my, grizzlies i've got them tier two uh so my thing is i think that they're all pulling in the in the same direction i'm just not always sure it's the right one uh mm. i think the organization has has stretched this out very impressively, but you're starting to see the Raptors are another example of this. When you're like, well, we de- we have such faith and confidence in our development staff and how good we've done. We'll find guys and bring them up to that level. And then you don't. And then you got Malachi Flynn and you got Zaire Williams, who's back in the G League. That's concerning. Uh, I I didn't like the Zaire trade on the surface. I just didn't love the pick. Like I didn't like moving up to get Zaire. Um, now, look, Zaire can turn into a phenomenal player that's careers are long all these things can stretch i change minds on guys all, all the time well that's it's also a, it's also letting melton and kyle anderson go. anderson go yeah and chris vernon talks about this on on the ringer podcast about how like the grizzlies kind of need an adult in the room and especially with danny green not getting now gone like you're now you're missing that um dylan brooks i don't think that there was a, an ability to move him either in the preseason or offseason rather or during the season i don't think there was an opportunity but it's just becoming very apparent if it's like you're going to need to go a different. And I think they tried to get OG. I think they made as much of an effort as the Pelicans and the price was just too high for anyone to stomach. But they their mouth is way far ahead of their performance. They haven't gotten there. Now, the brashness benefits them. It gives them confidence. It gives them attitude. It's how they play. I get it. But this team also is just dreadful in half court. When the game slows down, they go to pieces. And most of the playoffs is about that. They had a run last year where they they get upset by the Wolves if the Wolves don't piss down their legs three times in a series. And you say, like, well, they took the Warriors to six. Yeah, because of the crazy-ass Game 5 in Memphis, which no one could really understand. And then on top of it, like, Game 1 was like a coin flip game. They played really well. The Warriors are also a really good matchup for them because they want to play a little bit in chaos. Like, if the if the Grizzlies face the Mavericks or the Nuggets who play in constrained, slow order, it's going to be very tough for them. And, like, the Grizzlies' order, the Grizzlies' direction is championship but their talent keeps pressing them to a level where they have to play a little bit above where they're ready and then at the same time the organization is like well we don't want to get too far ahead of
of ourselves or make a key mistake, which is to their credit. But this is the challenge of being that front office. It's like you got to find the move. Like you got to find the thing that locks everything into place while the rest of the guys develop where they get there. Next year, year after, you get that piece. Jaw learns a little bit better about how to how to to shoot off the pick and roll with a pull up jumper, which he added and then kind of abandoned this season. Desmond continues his great development, and Jaron, who I think has made the biggest strides this season, you will have a contender. But I think right now, one of the problems is like the Grizzlies are facing extremely high expectations and insane amount of pressure because of how they put themselves in the spotlight. And I just don't know that they're ready. So that's why I have them tier two. I wonder about how the Grizzlies are going to handle disappointment this year in the playoffs, if that's what comes, because it's always really hard. It is generally a step in the road. There are very few organizations that get there. And Memphis was able to kind of, because of Jaws injury, they were able to kind of see this like, we were giving them a tough fight. We were able to do it. And this year they have the expectations. Hopefully they come into the postseason healthy. And there are two directions that can go. Either that can galvanize you and be and, and get you there, whether that's making the move that you need to make or the players taking steps forward, or that is what knocks everything apart. Yeah. And I really don't know which way that's going to go. And honestly, it's typically not on the court. Like that's not when we see these circumstances happen. And I think it's going to happen with Memphis. I still think they have a credible chance to make it out of the West, but that you you get you get hit in the mouth you get knocked down you get you you don't meet your own expectations in a series does that make you individually collectively want to be better does that make you want to send out these three guys that you think failed you like it's so hard yeah i also think maybe though like i think failure is probably the best thing for them um not from a they need to take their medicine but from a i again i really admire how patient the front office was like the front office was like, we have this awesome team. Yeah, we're gonna trade Giannis Valanciunas for Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe in a pick. Yeah, we're gonna take this. We're gonna move up and take this this wing with a pick. And you know, we're we're not gonna move Dylan Brooks and we're not gonna do this. And oh yeah, like we're gonna move DeAnthony Melton and yeah, we're gonna move Kyle Anderson and like they're still the number two team in the Western Conference. Do I wish as a Grizzlies person that they, they still had Kyle Anderson? Yes, I do. Do I wish they still had DeAnthony Melton? Yes, I do. Has Tyus been awesome? Yeah, Tyus is always gonna be great. Tyus is Tyus. Uh like keeping those guys have been great, but they have so much potential. Like they have a lot still out in front of them and now i think what's what's interesting is like see see how far you can go and then react when you don't get there because last year it really was like they took another step forward no reason to think that they would have gotten past where they got to you know most people thought they were going to be you know maybe a playoff team and they were one of the top seeds in the western conference and had a real like a a couple things go differently and that that warriors series is like a game seven in memphis where things are are much dicier and and Um, that team eventually won the championship which also allows you yeah. to think of it differently once you get to June. So um, I think this could be good for them, uh, not in terms of like them. I don't think they'll ever learn their medicine, or at least not until they're much, much older. And that's good. Like they need to keep some of that attitude, but I understand how tough it is and then really come to terms with like where they got to get better. And that's Jaw, and that's Jaron and that's Desmond and that's coaching and that's the front office. And I have a lot of faith in Taylor Jenkins. I think Taylor Jenkins understands all that, but they're going to need to figure out a lot of that. The first time that they're in a series and it's like, oh, we can't just run these guys out. We don't have home court and we can't just run these guys off the floor with transition. It's it's going to get dicey. So how how does everything make me more excited for the West playoffs? Every single thing, every conversation, it, every game I watch are just like, this is going to be madness. 
it's funny with the East being favored too at the Bucks. They're the the East is the favorites, and um, I get it because of the strength of those teams. And you're going to be like, "Wow, can you get through the West and then beat Boston?" I get it. Um, but boy, there's some really great teams in the West. Like the Suns are going to be great. You know, I have them lower in this in this ranking because of all the drama that is possible there. But they're going to be great and. The Grizzlies are still going to be tough as hell, and they are. They have stepped up, and they always like they rise to the. They they will meet you at the moment. Like they're not going to. If they fail, it's going to be because of things that they can't. They can't get to. They just can't do. But they're going to hit you as hard as they possibly can. Um, and I just I, I don't. If they're the number one team by a, a margin. I really don't think people understand how good Denver is. I just don't think that there's an acknowledgement or. I think it's like oh yeah that's cute okay oh, sure yogurt and I'm just like guys when they hit you in waves like I've seen this team at home break squads they just and teams look helpless and they're gonna have home court it's like yeah they can do that at home can they do it on the road well they're gonna be home for the playoffs and they're gonna the, be home for every game seven yeah at least yeah. until the, at least until the finals yeah so it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing it's gonna be a great playoffs yeah well thank you so much that was that was a great conversation <laughs> loved it had a lot of fun thanks for having me thanks again to matt moore for taking the time to come on you can read his work at the action network you can listen to him on locked on nba locked on nuggets you can also check him out on the bet stream which is which is a fun thing that they do as well you can also if somehow you don't already you can follow him on twitter at hp basketball love having matt on i i really do appreciate our conversations and the give and take and we are able to come at things from a different perspective but really like i i find myself learning and gaining so much from these and like one of the things matt talks about a lot is how well a team performs against the best 10 and the worst 10 and like i've, I've started incorporating that even more into my analysis since he brought it to my attention and now it's just kind of part of it for me and i appreciate that if you want to support the show, there are a lot of different things you can do. You can subscribe, download every episode. That is particularly useful for Real GM Radio because it's never going to come out on a specific day of the week. You can't get in a habit with it. So whatever podcast player you use, Spotify, Apple, whatever, you can check it out there. We'll just pop into your player whenever it comes in. You can also help other people find the show. Leaving a rating and review and the podcast player for choosing is good there. Social media, word of mouth, however you want to do it. We really do appreciate it. But the single most important thing for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors for this episode that is betonline.ag use the clns50 promo code to get yourself a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit and to tell them that you came from us so they continue advertising on this fair podcast you can also check out my other work dunked on and dunked on prime we're taking a little bit of a break right now but we did a ton of great work over the last you know week plus with the trade deadline and everything else and then i mean seth had a great piece in the dunked on prime mailer that came out on wednesday then dan still doing great work and then of course nate with john hollinger there's a lot of really good stuff there nate and i are also taking a little bit of a break from the nba strategy stream we'll be back basically when the nba is back for uh pacers magic i presumably will talk more about that the next time i record for real gm radio and then written work at the athletic i did a team by team breakdown of where things are looking for the 23 offseason already and then i have more pieces in the works in various stages of production so you can keep an eye out for that if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I'll try to get back to you, but I admit I'm not the greatest on that, but I try. Um, and that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.